0: Welcome to NavChat, the show for the New Zealand orienteering and navigation sports community. Hey Tom, welcome back for another month. Hi Gene, how are you? How's your month been? It's been really good actually. Uh, it started off basically terrible and my training routine has just got better and better since then. Have you ever had a, a back injury before? I have. Yeah, I've never experienced this before. I had a, a back muscle spasm, like just re- really low, kind of in the back of the pelvis. Oh my word. I have never experienced that before. Um, and it, it came after I did a lot of stretching. I had some time off after nationals and I thought I'd knuckle down and do some stretching, lots of yoga. And I think I mobilized something that has not been mobilized for years. And my body had some readjusting and we've gone through it now, but there was something that was so spasmy and would just cramp up if I put it in the wrong position. Oh, terrible. Are you are you 30? Yeah, bro.
1: Shit. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's it. I don't think it's the yoga. I think it's the 30. I think that's what's probably done it. I think, I mean, I don't know about you. As a near masters athlete now myself, um, I definitely feel the um the need for a warm-up and uh, definitely not as resilient to funny twists and falls as I used to be. But
0: are you on the mend? Yeah, yeah. Um I was pretty concerned because it was super painful um and my physio was not phased at all and he's like nah this is usual the level of pain he said doesn't really represent um what's going on there's no obvious damage it's just a muscle that's very twitchy Uh, and so yeah it it subsided and running was actually made it feel better it would kind of like warm up and mobilize a bit better Um, you've got to get
1: moving with back pain that's how you make it better i've had a similar experience yeah okay um has that impacted
0: your training? Because you're heading over to walk. Yeah, yeah. It, it did push things back a, a bit. I was planning to have two weeks of intentional rest after after uh, New Zealand champs. And that ended up being three weeks, which is, is not a bad thing overall. Uh, and I, But I do feel like I'm playing catch up a bit with the training. It is a very short build uh, that I've given myself. So just seven weeks. And yeah, it's going well, though. Uh, everything's the body's happy enough now. Cool. Uh, so I'm tra- training well, doing everything I can. Uh, some, a lot of hard runs happening at the moment, a lot of faster runs and right. sprint I
1: training. A, I guess it's a sprint walk. So you're going to be wanting to focus on that sprint orientering. And uh, my back backseeing saw just from talking about backs. So shall we quickly segue into talking to Malcolm? He You caught up with him, very relevant with recent Sprint World Cup and upcoming Sprint Walk um, and with Kiwis having the national sprint fresh in their mind. You had a talk with him about uh, a variety of things about focusing on knockout sprints and how they work.
0: Yeah, definitely the theme of the moment. So yeah, let, let's see what Malcolm has to say. Hi, Malcolm. Good hey, evening, Thanks for coming on NavChat. Tom and I were keen to hear more about knockout sprints and I heard you are the resident expert at this stage. Is that correct? I'm
2: not sure I would say that. But hang on, let me just turn my sound up a wee bit.
0: Have you been watching uh, the races um, last
2: night? I watched until the men finished. I couldn't be bothered waiting Mm -hmm. for the one-hour break between the first lot of women and the second Mm -hmm. lot of women. Mm -hmm. And um, I must admit, I'm not particularly happy with IOF's special rules where they seem to manipulate the rules to the benefit of the top end of the field. Uh, I just take it you noticed that the um, top forty runners had a one and a half minute start interval, while everyone else had a one minute start interval.
0: Yeah. Okay. I didn't notice. I wasn't watching the live, the live thing, just the GPS afterwards. So, yeah, that's a, that's definitely a strange uh, one. I no,
2: no. Yeah. And then they, they had a one hour. The the men went more or less continuously, but there was a five minute gap before the top forty. But for the women. They ran all the early starters. Then there was literally a one-hour gap in the start list before the top 40 went off with a wider start interval.
0: Uh, so it's a bit of a two-tiered start list.
2: Exactly, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, it's so disrespectful of the people. I, I, I was willing somebody from early on to win. To win. <laughs> well, it's all for TV, of course. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Cool. So um, can you give a bit of background on where Knockout Sprint has come from and how long has this been in the pipeline and what were some of the other alternatives that were proposed to Knockout Sprint before it was Gosh, a thing? I uh,
2: well, I, mean, I guess the first time I came across it was um, I think it was 2015 at the World Champs in Sweden, where I went to the General Assembly as the ONZ delegate, and that was the point where they finally decided to split walk into a forest version and into a sprint version. The rationale for it being, yes, money, that they felt they can sprint walk in urban settings, they can make quite a bit of money out. They were hoping people would actually bid for hosting rights, I think, Uh, and that would then finance Forest Walk. And it also solved the problem of as the event has got bigger, it's become harder and harder for people to put on both Forest and Sprint at the same time. Once they decided that, of course, I think the feeling was that a Sprint and a Sprint relay on their own, were not enough for a sprint walk. So they wanted a a third race to go in there. I can't remember, I must admit, if there were other alternatives, but it very rapidly came down to being a knockout sprint. And it was trialed at various training camps for a number of years with different formats. And I can't remember when it first came into an official race, but there have been several knockout sprints now in World Cup races where they've tested the various formats and there's still a fair degree of flexibility in what you actually do. And, but clearly it's, I mean, it's something that I think we saw on the horizon and obviously. <clears throat> Particularly in the last two years, with no international competition for others than the likes of Tim and Toby Scott, we needed to do something about making sure people are experienced in having, you know, in what goes into a knockout sprint. So I think when you say I'm the local resident expert, it simply comes down to that I've been involved in organizing what we've had. <laughs> How, so you, how much mean, that qualifies me for, I'm not entirely sure.
0: <laughs> so, you mentioned that uh, there is some variation in how a knockout sprint can be run. Uh, let's start with the things that are always part of a knockout sprint. Like, w- what is the scaffold that uh, a race organizer has to? Has well, to the, use? The,
2: the, base, the, the, the absolute basic is that there is a qualification race. And that in major competition, such as tomorrow night will be and what will be uh qualification is in three heats and only the top 12 in each heat qualify and that is very strictly adhered to in that you can only have 36 in the knockout rounds so three heats of 12. and whereas in, in an individual sprint where you've got a qualification if there's a tie or the last qualification place both people go through. If there's a tie in the knockout sprint for the last qualification place, it's done purely on world ranking. So it's another reason why world ranking is actually quite important if you're going to be on that border. And I think we're probably, it's probably true that from our point of view, the hardest aspect for knockout sprint is going to be qualifying. And when you look at the kind of field they're going to have tomorrow night with something like 120 men and 100 women, they're going to be in heats of 35 or 40. It's only the top 30% of the field is going to get through in any qualification race. And that's that's a big ask compared to WOC where the field is reduced because, of course, in World Cups you can have uh Countries like Sweden, I haven't counted up, but they've probably got at least six men, if not eight men. Whereas at WOC, they'll only have three or four, and that applies to other countries. So in a World Cup, just qualifying is a big ask in a World Cup knockout sprint. But that's the basic. There's always going to be 36 qualifiers, men, 36 qualifiers, women.
0: And then what do they do with them? How do they split them up from there?
2: From there, they're there are two possibility possible ways of splitting them up. Um, they go into six quarterfinals of six people each. The one that I think has been used most is that there is an IOF formula, which is actually in their rules as to who goes into which quarterfinals. So, for example, the winner of qualification heat one will go into quarterfinal three. The winner of qualification heat two will go into quarterfinal one or whatever. And it's done like that. The other option, which they actually used in the Danish test races a couple of weeks ago is that it's called, it's called athlete's choice and you get. People are listed in order of where they're qualified. So you'll be the top first three people will be the winners of the qualification. Heats. And in that order, they are allowed to choose which quarterfinal they go into. And it's an open process. So you can actually see and hear what other people are choosing. So, of course, tactics comes into this. Should I be avoiding Tim Robertson in my quarterfinal? do I want to run with Tim Robertson in my quarterfinal because he will give me a toe and I'll qualify for the next round and so on? So it becomes a lot. A lot of, it's one of the few areas, one of the, the areas where yes, tactics really does come into play. And having seen that the Danes used it at their test races, it would not surprise me if they use it at Rock as well. We'll just have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, interesting. I hadn't actually seen uh, that athlete's choice before from that point onwards is it all um systematic or once people have gotten to the qualifying
2: point on it's yeah from that point on it's all all systematic there are each quarter final the top three qualify so that gives us 18 in in the semi-finals which gives us three semi-finals of six and the top two in each semi-final go into the final so it's you know once you're into that quarterfinal stage and the quarterfinals have been sorted. Yes, it's all laid down as to who goes where. And the other aspect, of course, is whether there's any splitting of the field, because, of course, the knockout rounds are straight six person mass starts. And there appear to be three options for what can happen. The simplest one is actually putting a pivot control in and having some short loops and is worth remembering that the knockout rounds are meant to be an eight minute winning time or thereabouts. So you haven't got a lot of flexibility in what you can put in, uh, in terms of length of course. Uh, But if you obviously if you have uh, pivots and three little loops, then uh every individual will go can go around those loops in a different order and uh and there will be complete splitting o- over the course of the events sometimes there are only two loops uh, which case a couple of people are going to be running together all the time uh, and there are various ways of actually doing the loops as well you can actually put a um a few common controls in with splits between each of the common controls, so, so you don't actually have a pivot control, but you have um two slightly different loops with a lot of common controls. The other way which we have practiced and which has been used at World Cups is the map choice option, where, for example, between Say, let's sake of argument, say control three and control six. There might be two, op- three options for four and five. And uh, each athlete in each quarter final or each round of what quarter final, semi final, or whatever, uh, each competitor simultaneously gets twenty seconds to choose which of those options they wish to run, and they only see the start control marked as a triangle, the finish control marked as a circle without a number on, so I don't know where it comes in the course. Yeah, so by start and control, the you mean the, the,
0: the control that's at the start of the, the, the splitting? The control at the start
2: options, of yes. the split, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they have 20 seconds to choose what they want. And nobody knows what anyone else in their heat has actually chosen. So hopefully, uh, if it's well set, which of course is quite a big challenge, and you will end up with a split of people going in different directions when they get to the start of the split. That, to a certain extent, I think, is, depending on who what nation is planning it or running the event, is starting to fall out of favour, I think. And... Um, I noticed in the knockout sprint in the Danish test races, they did not use map choice. Um, and again, if you read the bulletins for this year's world championships, they don't mention it. Whereas in the bulletin for tomorrow night at the World Cup, it is mentioned as a possibility. And of course, the third prop- of possibility is that it's a straight race and there is absolutely no splitting at all. But the course is planned, hopefully, to have sufficient route choice that people will actually split up through choosing different routes. That, of course, depends upon people having the confidence to choose a different route to the people they're running with. And, or, and it brings in the tactics. Do I hang with the crowd? Do I make my own choice? Or so on. And I think all the races the Danish test races were actually straight races. I don't think they used any splitting at all. And if you look at the bulletin for the World Championships, where they have already listed how many controls they're going to be in each heat, there are only eight to ten controls, which means there's not a lot of scope for actually even putting in a pivot control and some loops.
0: You would expect so the shorter they may legs well surrounding the pivots.
2: Uh, Yeah, it's either got to be very short legs around the pivot or they've got to be a few long legs with significant route choice. Yeah, As we saw in the Danish test races, they had a lot of artificial barriers set up as well to create the route choice. So I suspect that's going to be very much a model for what we will expect at at the world champs.
0: Do you get a sense that they've been moving away from the map choice because it's not an effective Splitting method or because it's very confusing for the TV coverage, which is kind of the sense I've got watching the TV coverage. If you're kind of new to oriented, well, like, that, and yeah. sorry, well, what was another thing going on? Or is it actually just that there's a lot of extra work to it because you have to have all those cubicles set up at the start to separate the runners. Mm-hmm. And they all have yeah. to have their own um, person watching that. They they stop looking at the map at the right time when they're doing the 20 seconds Uh, before they choose? Possibly
2: a combination of all of those things, Gene. I mean, I I know IOF are very keen on making the TV coverage as streamlined as they possibly can and as easy for viewers to understand, so it would not surprise me if that plays a role in it. Um, But I think also there's possibly a feeling amongst some people that it's, if you like, not real orienteering. Having this sort of artificial splitting where people don't actually run the same course mm-hmm. because they choose different options. Um, but it says probably a poss- quite possibly a combination of all of those mm-hmm. things. Um, and it is, it is, I mean, having done it, it is a, it's very difficult to actually plan something that is difficult to choose from. Um, You don't want one option to clearly be a bad one, uh, just as much as you don't want one option to be quite clearly the best option. And how easily you can do that, of course, depends upon the map that you're using. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of... I'll be very interested to see what happens tomorrow night. I really will.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, as a spectator of a lot of these races, how have you enjoyed seeing knockout sprints uh, rolled out both domestically and internationally over the past two years?
2: I think watching watching it is great fun, it really is. I mean, um, the one in, in uh, Blenheim after the ONZ Champs this year, I, I was very gratified at the number of people who turned up to watch and they obviously thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Um, particularly the fi- what the final I'm talking about really here but also when we ran the one in new plymouth um, in 2020 where we had a lot of people watching and even had it up on the uh, on the screen with live tracking as well and it it's different but it, it is it, it's exciting because you are actually seeing head to head racing which we don't usually see
0: yeah i agree i actually didn't expect it would be something that i'm that into It's extra short and extra sprinty. And I I actually, maybe I prefer them more than normal sprints. Uh, It was super fun doing doing the whole day of head-to-head racing. I think the head-to-head bit is super fun. Um, I I mean,
2: physically, it's very challenging for an athlete as well. And one thing I did notice in the Danish test races, and it also seems to be on the timetable for tomorrow night, is that Uh, Rather than having the qualification and the knockout rounds spread throughout the day, the qualification seems to be relatively early in the morning. Then there's quite a long gap, and then the the knockout rounds seem to go bang, 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 with very little gap in between them. So all three knockout rounds take place in a space of about two and a half hours for the men and the women, uh, which is again, presents a different physical challenge. It's going to be very much like doing intervals, intense intense intervals.
0: Yeah, well, this is exciting to see something new actually get traction. And yeah, I'm looking forward to racing more of these in the future. So thanks for bringing us up to speed as much as anyone could bring us up to speed at the moment. And we all look forward to seeing what happens tonight with uh, World Cup and uh, other phrases that are coming up, both domestically and overseas. So thanks, Malcolm. Yes, you
2: no, no, welcome, Jane. You're welcome.
0: Have you done a knockout
1: sprint yet, Tom? No, I have not. I've, um, I've been pretty, uh, I've missed all of the like sort of nationals and other event add-ons where they've had them in the last couple of years. They definitely... It definitely strikes me, especially hearing Malcolm kind of talk through it and all the like various rules and like slight variations that they're still trying. It definitely sounds like a younger sport that we're still trying to figure out the optimal way to run it. Um, so, no, I, I haven't done one. I'm pretty keen to give it a try. I think I would be probably blown out of the water by some of our younger contemporaries at the moment. Um, how about yourself? What's your experience been?
0: Yeah, I've done two knockout sprints now and really enjoyed both of them. I was not so sure um, that I would find it interesting, but uh, I did find it really fun, actually. And um, I found that you do push a bit harder and that pushes against your ability to navigate. And so the navigation was actually a little bit harder because of the context. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. in theory, the navigation is not hard, but when you're really pushing and jostling shoulder to shoulder with uh, other competitors, then yeah, it's it's something something a bit different. So I think it is quite mm. complementary, and I'm really glad that they went for a knockout sprint than like an ur- like urban middle distance kind of style, which yeah. I don't think really brings anything new to the table. No, I
1: agree with you there. I definitely agree. Um, it's high, it's high speed. It pushes the speed higher, doesn't it? Um, now. We don't have a huge amount of knockout sprints in New Zealand, but I think there are some techniques that you can train when you're thinking about sprint orienteering to help to not just enhance your knockout sprint running, uh, but to enhance your more traditional sprint orienteering Mm -hmm. racing. Um, You actually have the nationals sprint course uh, to bring up, and we're going to use that to talk about a couple of key things which you can train in sprint orienteering. So, First up, the first thing we're going to talk about is we're going to discuss uh, an exercise you can do to work on speed differential and sprint orienteering. Now, in Europe, probably more so in New Zealand, we see courses where there'll be an area of forest as well as an area of buildings um, requiring you to adopt different techniques in different parts of the course. We saw that a little bit at nationals this year down in Nelson, where the sprint had a few controls initially in a forested area before moving into more complicated buildings. Um, trying to replicate that in training is, is a great idea. It's also like really useful around New Zealand because lots of parks and urban maps in New Zealand include a little bit of a little bit of both. Um, it doesn't need to be an amazing bit of forest. In fact, it's almost better if it's just a plain bit of junk bush, really. Um, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to set up a A sprint interval, so maybe four to six or seven controls, maybe three to four minutes worth, where you have a few in the forested area and a few out in the buildings, trying to really encourage and stress that whole different approach to techniques that you need in the different types of terrain and different speeds you should adopt. And the other great thing with this is you can run the course in opposite directions to get better yield from the time spent making the map up, but also to stress out that fast to slow or slow to fast. Um, have you done something like
0: this in the past, Jen? I've done a lot of races that have focused on this, uh, that have had this element in the past, especially in in Europe. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of the uh, areas that I've are, that are raced in, in sprints in Sweden, for example, have a lot of little forested patches mixed in With their um, urban areas and so you'd see controls that it might be like a a building route choice but the control placement is actually you know on a cliff uh, in a little patch of forest just on the other side and switching between those two mindsets is actually a challenge that comes up quite a lot in Mm -hmm. european sprints and maybe something we haven't focused on quite so much. We've done some full forest sprints in New Zealand, and we've done a lot of campus sprints, but this was really interesting that we had at Nationals, a uh, kind of non-urban start to an urban sprint. And just going around this map a bit more, if you're doing a sprint training, you only have to have like two controls in this little forested area down here just to change that mental model and how to navigate things become much more left, right, left, right, and a bit more continuous. How high do I have to be on the slope and just putting two controls in that area, I think it is surprisingly challenging. It looks trivial on paper, but when you come to execute, you find that your your brain uh, isn't as in tune because you don't have that rhythm of practicing that different, um, more like continuous style of orienteering where you can be That's too right, high, yeah. too far, too, too far left, too far up, too far down. Sprint orienteering you're just like, you're correct or you're like in the wrong building. And it's,
1: yeah. That's it. You can also bring in, it also forces you to bring in uh, some of your other orientarian techniques around compass use and that sort of thing as well. And trying to be mentally prepared that it's a group of skills you might need to utilize in a sprint event. Um, you might need to, say for instance, on this course we've got here, where there's a couple of controls on the fringes of the forest, they could quite easily put a few extra controls further up in the forest for a slightly longer period of um, navigation where you're having to use contours and compass before then thrusting you back into the buildings. It's just about having practiced adopting that different mental model you're talking about there. Yep. So that's one exercise that would be that you could use to stress um, some sprint orientering techniques. We talked about that being in the format of sprint intervals, Now, another useful technique to utilize with sprint intervals is trying to force yourself into different route choices. This is a great pairs exercise. And again, it's one where you can run a course forwards and then return to the start and run it a second time. Essentially, what you do is you have a left person and a right person and ideally a course that's set with lots of route choice options. Um, If you're the left person, after you punch the control, you must exit left and you must take a route that is to the left of the red line. And conversely, the person to the right must go right. Um, The point being is it's looking for you to look wide and to have that little extra um, incentive of someone running with you. So you don't like default to running with another person. It gets you ready for the occurrence where you might be in a uh, knockout sprint. You might need to be looking to see how you can es- escape from another runner. Um, also, how you can just look for uh, more options in sprint terrain. So, I reckon your six to seven. You've just drawn a couple of leagues on for us. I reckon your six to seven is uh left. So that one we'd that have to go round the building to the right. But. For those who can see the the video, the red would be right options. The blue would be left options. You run the course together, see who gets to the finish and then little recovery after that sprint interval and then flip it around and do the opposite. And then you can, in your warm down, you can discuss routes you took and pros and cons.
0: Yeah, and that's especially important. If you are to choose a better route choice next time, you have to get the feedback from the previous route choice that you've just done. So comparing notes and splits after a training session is essential. You might have a good feeling about the route choices you took, but were they actually faster? To find you had a good feeling about a route choice and then the person who went the other direction was four seconds faster is really important for calibrating your feeling of which kind of route choices are actually faster. You've got to practice knowing what the correct answer is. It's like flashcards and some sort of learning exercise. You can't just like keep keep trying different Answers. You have to know what the answer is to know if you're doing it correct or not. You don't need
1: SI for this either. You can just use splits on your watch and then after the training session while you're taking some food on board or, or recovering afterwards, you can whip up your splits and compare notes and see what worked. Um, I guess finally the last thing you can do to with either of these sprint interval techniques we've talked about is you can draw some extra barriers onto your map We saw at nationals up at Long Bay College and also internationally that barriers are used increasingly to add complexity to sprint orienteering areas. You don't have to go to the trouble of putting these out, but drawing on some impassable fences can be one way to make what is an area that's either really familiar to you or potentially quite straightforward. You can make it a bit more complicated. Now, it's probably more of an advanced civil technique because you've got to self-police that while you're out there, especially if you're not putting the barriers out, Um, but if you're not putting controls out anyway, um, it's all about um, maintaining map contact anyway. So you want to, if you want to make something more complicated, you can try that.
0: Yep, I think that's a great idea. And it allows you to use an area you're, f- you're familiar with in a new way, which can be really important if you have limited maps.
1: Cool. So just in terms of just recapping what we've talked about, so we've, we've honed in on sprint intervals as a potential training technique. Um, really easy exercise to run on an urban map. Uh, We've given three possible exercises. The first being trying to set legs that include forest or um, bush areas, followed by a part of this interval moving into buildings to stress out your kind of speed and technique adaptation. We've talked about left and right intervals. So pairing up, trying route choices that are either way. Um, And then we've talked about using barriers as a way to make familiar areas more Interesting or more challenging? Any other points for you on that, Jane?
0: No, I, I think they're great. I, I think, think with those com- that combination of techniques, you can keep yourself pretty satisfied for a year.
1: Right, we've got a ton of racing to discuss this month um, and other uh, sort of high performance orienteering news. So, should we just should we just get cracking? Um, first thing we've got up is a selection announcement for another team to travel, a return of New Zealanders heading across to Europe.
0: Yeah, that's Post right. Practice. We're also sending a World University team this year. So uh, congrats to Anna Coy Wright, Amber Riddle, Jessica Seville, Heidi Stolberger, Nathan Borton, Ronan Lee, Ethan Shadbolt, Dougal Shepherd, Scott Smith, and Liam Stolberger. They'll be heading over to Switzerland this year and Karen Woods is managing that team. So that will be uh, the first big overseas experience for uh, a number of these athletes. And World Universities is a really tough competition. There will be some very good athletes there at the top. So, if if we get some good results there, then um, they will be worthy of some recognition. Um, I personally found World University Champs to be quite formative for myself. It was a step up from from Jaywalk and helped bridge bridge me into the kind of senior elite World Champs and World Cup. Level So yeah, it's really important and will be just a super fun experience as well for everyone going over there to hang out with uh, different teams and people who are in a similar position to you who have been living on the other side of the world all these years.
1: The uh, Swiss know how to put on a good uh, championship orienteering event as well. So great country to be going to, I think. Um, I don't know too much about the terrain there, um, but I mean, Swiss they've got plenty of good terrains um m- yeah. my personal experiences there have all been lots of variable vegetation and uh quite gully spur with some like quite, quite complicated tracks and that sort of thing but they also have alpine areas and things like that too
0: yeah this one's pretty much in the middle there's, there's it's mainly continental but there's some slightly more detailed contours in some places so on on paper, it, it doesn't look that hard, but I think they'll find with the vegetation changing, getting the optimal route choice and the safest lines is actually a challenge that they will be grappling with coming from some different style of navigation in most yeah. of New Zealand's terrains.
1: Yeah, um, well, sprint focus I think comes in for a lot of the rest of the stuff, and you've got something here about about underpasses.
0: Yeah, so this was uh, and a question comment that was posted after some races uh, in, in Denmark, I believe these were of an uh, in, in area that had, had the new underpass symbol. So maybe this no. enlargement is actually um, clearer just to get our heads around these new symbols. So you can see the, the white and beige stripe. So that shows that on the main level, it's, it's beige, so paving, but the white stripe shows that there is a second level below that. And the triangles show where you can enter into the lower level. So often you just see like two triangles at the start of a tunnel because it's like a narrow entranceway mm. to a longer passage. Whereas this way, it's a bridge walkway. So there's actually a lot of triangles because it's, it's the, the, the uh, you just walk under the dirt, under the grass, under the bridge. So it's kind of a different mm. way to sh- show a bridge. But um, what's been marked here in orange, which I think is really helpful, is that in theory looking at the map you can pass under the bridge through uh, under the triangles and under the stripe and then kind of onto the bridge so that, so so that section in b and also in in at the a in red a and b in red there that's a mistake that should be an impassable wall there, because yeah. I, I don't think that, should. The map, that, I, the map,
1: yes, that the I didn't because have that otherwise, in mind. How would that even work? That's like it would mean that th- it's like sloping this way. So you can run up here, but still go underneath here. OK, so yeah. that is an error, is it? That-
0: yeah, I think basically it was a mapping error. And there are a, a lot of comments on, yeah, well, we've got these new things to grapple with and there's a few more dimensions you have to think about in your head when you're putting these areas together. Mm. And so mappers do have to be quite careful. And if we go back to uh, the initial route choice, uh, I'll draw on for um, those watching. So I choices
1: fl- to go around and under or to go up onto the bridge and then down and loop around and underneath.
0: Yeah. So I think that the, the, this is the one route is like all the way around to two. And I think the other route that they had, I didn't even,
1: I didn't even, I didn't even yeah. see that.
0: Oh my! The gosh. other route that they had in mind, I think, is is more like that. But the because of the kind of misinterpretation of of the map, you can go oh. color. You could go like straight on the boardwalk, and in theory, just like oh jump God. straight off there and then pop under.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think which, there's which also probably faster, two exits to which not you could go do. Faster but not legit. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, something to definitely stay. Oh, sorry. We're going to two. Yeah. Sorry. Something Uh, to stay aware of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Something to be
0: aware of. And I think there'll be some people who are looking at this and they're like, oh, I don't even understand this, the striped symbol. And I don't, haven't got my head around the, the triangles because Gene's explanation was too brief. And that's, we all have to go through that point. When new symbols get introduced, and these are not just like a new color, this is a new feature in the terrain that previously was not able to be used, and now it's shown on the map and can be used for navigation if it's done fairly. So, yeah. I think we're all going, going to go through this process of coming at our, our heads wrapped, getting our heads wrapped around these these new mapping symbols so that we don't have to mm. think so much about them. We just see the symbol and then we're like, yep, yeah, I know what it means. I know how to treat it. But we're in this kind of gray area at the moment. It'll become intuitive in time, but it's not quite exactly.
1: there yet. And we're still trying to get the mapping nailed. Okay. Good, good example though. Very good example. That's great to see. Mm-hmm. Um, to you Mila, one of the big spring relays. Um, yep. I know we had Tim running. Kate Morrison, I guess, was she running in? I'm not sure. Um but it sounds like you've caught up with someone from O'Connellane.
0: Yeah, that's right. I caught up with uh, Oscar who was um, Oscar Switstohof was is, is one of the younger runners in the O'Connellane team and yeah, I did a podcast with him talking about the race and how they set up the team and the preparations they did. And so uh, that was that was great because the New Zealanders have some connections with Linnea and Uppsala. Um, mm. but we've stayed there a number of times before and so it was great to see um that these people who, who some of us have raced against for for many years uh get get to the top nice
1: yeah i um, be very interesting definitely worth a listen
0: yeah and there's also some gps tracking that we go through we go through oscar's race so i, I definitely um recommend checking out the video if you want to get a feel for some of this Swedish terrain and how to tackle it at nighttime as well. And it was really interesting to hear the tips from Oscar and how safe these guys are playing it at night time, especially when you have a team of 10. Uh, there's yeah. so much to lose in some of these relays that the, the name of the game is just don't lose the race on this control. And then the next control, don't lose the race again. And so, there's, so, I
1: mean, the other thing as well which we maybe don't appreciate I didn't really appreciate until I went and ran ukula was just how important these are to the clubs. These these relays really are a pretty big deal. And when you've got like a pretty, you've got 20 elite men in your orienteering club running in the first team at Ukelob or Terminal is a really big deal. And Some really, really good athletes are like not even making those teams. So big achievement to win it.
0: Cool. And onto all the sprint orienteering that's been happening uh, over the past month. So uh, Tim obviously lives in Europe, so he's always hanging out over there, but now um, Penelope Salmon is over there for some time and she's tackling a lot of races. We did an interview with her um, a few months back and so she's in good shape. And um, she had some really good races in the uh, walk test races. So the walk test races are basically like the walk trials. But all the country, many countries, will do their trials at these walk test races, and they're held kind of near or in a similar terrain to the actual walk races. So it's really specific, and because all the con- many countries and all the top countries send their athletes there for the trials, it actually creates a very strong field. So it's almost yeah. like a a preseason, um, preseason kind of training, uh, or yeah, like a preseason meet. That test of form, have in yeah. Athletics.
1: We had, yeah. We had Joe Lynch there as well. Is that right? Um, Joe Lynch just hit over a little bit uh, later. Okay, so he wasn't. So, he was just there for that World Cup that's just been on. Okay, so test races and test races in Denmark. Um, have we got any tracking from the sprint?
0: Or yeah, the... We, do, we do some tracking. So t- Tim yep. won the sprint, so he was obviously in great form uh, earlier in the month. Also, uh, fourteen this, seconds, massive. Yeah, that's a big, big lead, especially over Casper Fossa. So, here's a look at the map. You know, it's, it's a fairly typical town uh, sprint kind of thing. This is where everyone's synchronized. So, obviously, it's an individual sprint, but everyone's synchronized for the start. L- lots of street running, actually. The control sites, uh, the control placement is not super tricky. Uh, there's, I think, a, a lot of running, but some quite big route choices that could take a long time to plan. Mm. These kind of sprints, Isn't you spend a just... lot of time planning.
1: Hasn't Tim just run some like insane, like 14.01 5k or something?
0: Yeah. He did a 14.01 five kilometre race and you would expect him to do really well if the course is technical or if the course is flat and fast at this, this point.
1: He's kind of got rid of it. He doesn't have a lot of weaknesses in sprint over anymore, does he? No. So impressive. Yeah, very impressive
0: and good result from him. Pretty flawless execution um, of a race, race like this um yeah so that was really cool and uh we also had knockout sprints uh, at, at the the test races also um, mm-hmm. tim was fourth in the final so just getting to the final in a, in a knockout sprint just means like no mistakes the whole way through the day getting oh like through... malcolm
1: was saying before he's saying that qualification and these especially these world cup events in such large
0: fields it's such
1: an achievement to even make that the knockout phase yep that's right
0: so tim finishing fourth uh, is really good And I think Penelope finishing fifth in her second big race uh, overseas is pretty outstanding, actually. So she she has his lead speed. Yeah, really impressed with this. Um, Let's take a look at her GPS. This is the uh, map of the Knockout Sprint Final. nice see
1: Auckland Orienteers listed there as clubs. You've got some uh, big-name overseas clubs and then the
0: Powerhouse Auckland Orienteers. That's right. It's very cool. Um, And... I mean, these the she's racing against names that we've followed for for seasons. They have been at the top, and she's right up there in terms of speed. Uh, again, this course has a lot of a lot of road running, and the control placement um, isn't isn't super tricky. But there's a lot of investment that has to be done in the planning of some of these legs because you do not want to pick the wrong route choice. Uh, GPS bouncing around on the buildings quite a lot here, but yeah, it looks like there was some very fast. Um, very fast racing and to finish fifth uh, is fantastic for her.
1: Yeah. What's it? 826 for 2.2 Ks.
0: Yeah, so these fifth are short and fast races and yeah. so like that training we were talking about earlier, if you are thinking about doing knockout sprints seriously then there's no reason to do long sprint trainings. They should all be yeah. hectically fast and short.
1: Definitely, yeah. Now on the World Cup. Now there's been Pretty good coverage of this, I must admit. Like, yes, IOF has some of their, they've got some quirks with their um, online coverage, but it's been cool to see not just like, ONZ has some good articles about it. There's been a bit of social media coverage of it. Um, And obviously we've got Tim grabbing another World Cup, well, another couple of World Cup medals, really.
0: Yeah. So Tim got silver in the World Cup sprint. Uh, That was the first race at, at this World Cup. And... So that was outstanding. He was beaten by uh, Casper Fossa, who was uh, second to him in those test races. And yeah, we'll we'll take a quick look at um, what it looks like. I mean, yeah, running that close to 14 minute 5k. You can see him just around the course, just kind of going fast the whole time. He doesn't even look like he's going uh, that fast a lot of the time, but he's so consistent and so smooth and navigation I mean, it's, it's just pretty flawless. He's, he's even better on more technical areas. So this must be relatively relatively simple. I remember his first big wins, oh, first big um, races he did at a senior level, where he was he got a sixth in a World Cup. That they were really technical races that he's really good at, and now he can just kind of do really well at, at both the the faster ones and the the more technical ones. So really impressive from Tim. This is this is the yeah. race. So again, like the terrain's not super technical, but it's important that you don't miss any gaps. So you do have to invest a lot of time in planning ahead and make sure that you don't have some mistake or route choice, like you think it's a good way. Um, So some of the gaps that are really important to see, things like- Spaces and the fences, yeah. I think the other thing
1: to note on this is this map is very typical. Scandinavian sprint terrain with these many smaller buildings with gardens and streets. And I think this you that's kind of reflected in the results a little. There were a lot of Scandinavian runners near the front. Um, maybe the Swiss didn't quite go as good as they have in other terrains. Um but Tim, I mean, he's like you say, he's got good skills across multiple terrain types really. Yeah. You have to say him and Yannick Michels from Belgium would be Two of the non-core orienteering nation runners who are consistently at a risk of um, or a threat for these races.
0: Yeah, and you can see how how wide um, people are going on mm. a lot of these a lot of these routes. There is a, a lot of impassable lines in the terrain, so this looks fun. Um, I think that the terrain is is fun enough, and when you're going fast uh it's yeah it's really interesting and you have to plan ahead a bit um mm. but the next the next map i think is actually really fun the one they used for the knockout sprint. so yeah tim again um really really showing us that he's super consistent uh as i think he is ranked number one in the world now at sprint orienteering after after these two two
1: seconds word
0: cup as well yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, went to yeah. a sprint world cup as well, which is pretty yeah. big. So, yeah, that's uh, that, that's very impressive, and we're really excited about that. Let's have take a look at the knockout sprint, though, because I think this map's actually is a lot more densely packed, and mm. there's a lot, there's a lot going mm. on actually. So, this is really cool that they haven't just made this a fast, flat-out spectator race like it is very twisty and turny, um, a lot of impassable. Uh, lines and uh, a lot of gaps in those lines as well. So what you can see here is the A, B, and C map choice options. So for those that uh, listen to what Malcolm was saying, you might have realized that there's this setup at the start where the competitors get to choose uh, a couple of controls that could be different to some of the choices that the other starters have chosen. So they will get um, you get lined up in these little booths, and you get twenty seconds before the start to choose which option you're going to take. So they'll get given uh, a little little piece of paper that will have on it option A. So it will be a control there. They don't know it's number two, but there'll be a control, then a control, and then the controls. And they'll have three different maps, and they get to choose choose which, which one. And this is the yeah, the little starting starting gates. So they don't know what other people have chosen and it's quite a lot to set up, but they they did do it. And I think it was pretty effective actually. Uh, and some other points about um, some of these photos are pretty cool, just how how packed everyone is together. Mm. Um, it, it's, super, it's super close out there in the terrain. So this is quite different to Sprint actually. There are some elements that are proving to be different. There's just a lot going on, a lot of other distractions. And that's this is Tim coming through the the run through, uh the, the spectator leading the pack, and you can see how close everyone everyone is, breathing down his neck.
1: It's pretty cool. I eh? mean, you see us, you see a Swiss runner, couple of Swedes, and a New Zealander.
0: Thank mm-hmm. you. It, it's good. Yeah. So that was actually the uh that was the semi-final where they used the map choice the final was a straight final
1: no forking no yeah. forking
0: yeah but the root choices were i thought decent enough but it's really interesting how everyone sticks together it's, it's very hard to get people to split up because of the tactics that unfold in these races mm, mm. but here's one example of when someone did split up actually and it just shows you that following. Is not always the best option and we're, we're following here um megan carter davis uh, from the uk uh, in in the pink there so uh getting three and then four and then the whole pack's gone one way um it looked like she might have punched it first or been in close close to the front and everyone else has gone a different way and everyone else has followed tove <laughs> yeah so it, it's it's quite interesting that, that that's happened and now what what you've got is a situation where you're either um, going to be up or there's a, now a chance that you could be up or a chance that you could be down and in this case Carter um, Davis finished to pull, pull a few seconds on everyone and finished up second only getting overtaken by Tove Alexanderson towards the end so that, that decision there was that was just being top six to silver medal or it was in that decision there to go different to everyone else and it's it's really much
1: more much more fiddly rituals isn't she that's in the foresight to be able to spot that in this situation and have the foresight to be like no i'm i'm strong my convictions i'm going to go a different way from these other runners it's pretty uh pretty bold really yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's yeah, yeah. Was rewarded
0: big time. Um, this leg six to seven also. All of everyone's run around. Um, Carter Davis punching first. Did everyone follow her, or had they already decided to go around? I'm not sure. The men had the same leg also seven to six, and it was quicker to go through the middle. here. Um, I think mm. around three, three or four seconds quicker. And three of them did, uh, including Tim went through through the middle and then got 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 the gap you know that they were the, the top three um at, at this point with um the other you know, three who went around were definitely lost a bit of time so it's it's not just a running race it's a lot of running race but there are these critical moments when stealing three seconds can take you from fifth to second and, and I get, so,
1: the other way to look at it as well is like if you put like non-elite orienteers on this they would have a wide range of route choices just the same as if you put a non-elite orienteers on a walk course and then we do see at walk in the forest that there is a lot of um con- coalescence of route choices onto the optimal legs it's cuz at this level people are so good and they're so that they, they know and they're prepared so well that It seems like they're all going the same way and just following, but actually, there's a lot more going on underneath the surface.
0: Yeah, I think that it, that, that is right. And often they're simplifying with the same themes. Like they know mm. the terrain, and they're like, ah, it's too twisty through the gardens. Generally, so generally, I'm going to bias out to the roads. And if everyone applies that same rule, then you you seem to see everyone taking similar route choices. Um, one other thing that's notable about uh, these sprint races and uh, Malcolm, as as a manager of the team, was, I think, in, in on the communications and noticed that the deviant organizers who are supposed to use a certain type of tape, is a certain IOF tape that they were using to block off all of these, um, all of the roads that the competitors are not allowed to use. You just, there's something we didn't cover earlier, how much, uh, how many areas there are that are blocked off out of bounds, mm, mm. which make these route choices quite spicy, actually, because, At first glance, there seems to be an easier way that's not possible because of the blocked off areas and they ran out of tape (laughs) because there was so many out of bounds um, areas on this this map and the maps that they used uh, earlier in the day uh, and for the other races as well, uh, as we already saw on the sprint and in the the sprint relay. (laughs) So there's a lot of artificial barriers being put up for these races now. Mm. Uh, and then there was the Sprint Relay. Was our,
1: is that our last race of the, of the yeah, World Cup? That's I right. Went down last night?
0: Yep. More of a, a simple area, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, as much as we've said that the, um, the individual race was typical s- Swedish terrain, the knockout was that really interesting kind of centrum area. I thought this, I don't know, for, for a relay, I was a little bit underwhelmed with this course. Obviously, haven't run it, but there's a lot of quite long legs with a couple of route choices in them. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't super inspired by this.
0: Yeah, it's certainly not uh, as as tightly packed uh, as the other areas. It's almost like uh, uh, they said the are arena is
1: going to be here. We want to make sure we cross the river. Ah, we've got to do all these transit legs back and forth. Um, I wonder if the are- they'd stuck closer to the arena. They could have had a more interesting around that cathedral or if maybe if they had really wanted to be down on the other side in the park if they could have moved the arena somewhere else um i mean i don't know they've they've, it's not terrible but i just think compared to the others it's not quite as interesting
0: yep yep definitely high speed uh definitely helps those who who are the fastest runners and a lot of artificial barriers again so there is planning to do
1: uh, mm-hmm. And down end. by number, con- down by control eight as well, you can see utilization of the um, triangles and the underpass symbol. Yeah, here we um, go. Yep, in a race setting,
0: the triangles indicate where you can enter and exit the lower level. Yeah.
1: Definitely go through these maps if you're interested, if you're wanting to make sure you t- tune up on um, those symbols. The, there was a wee bit of an action at these World Cups. And no doubt there'll be more at WOC in Denmark as well.
0: Yeah, that's right moving on to events we've got coming up once we're satisfied watching the world cup action queen's Birthday's yep, coming just a up, really up birthday. yeah yeah um the fields are looking good are you going to make it tom
1: uh no sadly um just Mart- martin maybe for me mm-hmm. it's, it's just a, a tr- tricky time of year with not many not much leave available at work so mm-hmm. um sadly not this year cool. you sound like you are though and it's also wellington so not too far from home
0: yep yep it's not too far for me uh, and i'm really looking forward to getting some racing in actually just to break up the, the training that i've been doing i've had four really good weeks in a row now and really looking forward to um <clears throat> getting some racing in i think i'm mm-hmm. that's like the monotony that i've done over the past um for four weeks and my routine has been pretty rewarding as far as improvements in fitness. Uh, but I think I need something to break it up a bit. So I'm looking forward to uh, slamming some some races this weekend. We have a, a sprint as well on Saturday morning, two middle distances and a long distance as well, about 15 kilometers on this area. So four many really...
1: k's though, right? Four k's. <laughs> it's so soft. This area is so soft. Yeah. It's a giant sponge. <laughs> I think this is some of, I mean, I, I love Woodhill. Woodhill's my, like, orienteering home terrain, but I think the, these Manawatu sand dune maps, just with the linear nature of the sand dunes, it's just such a, you can be on a leg and feel like you're in control and following a nice handrail, and then it just stings you when you, like, don't quite get your direction right or you don't quite read the high points when you, when you go into the more complicated areas. I, I think this is just really, really fun terrain to
0: orienteer in. Yep, I agree. And I think the the hills are a punchier as well, actually very steep. True, yeah. Uh, on you, the side. You've got so those
1: three, four contour hills, yeah.
0: Yeah, they come out of nowhere and you get you get pushed around a bit by trying to avoid the steep pinches, whereas woodhills is a little bit more flowy, I think. So uh, yeah, this is cool. I'm really looking forward to it. This is an older map of the, the larger area of forest. I haven't been this far north in, in mm, that I, I, I remember, it. but I've we've definitely done orienteering. Close to the kind of Scotts Ferry car park down here on yep. on the road, or somewhere somewhere south. Yeah, so if there's it, any
1: coastal
2: strip.
0: Um, but, no, it, it kind of the, the forest just like gets super dense. Oh uh, um, yeah, and, like yeah, the trees yeah, are just really
1: stunted as you come Loose towards the beach, and, and as well as like radiata pine that are just like gnarled and salt. Yeah, stunted. Yeah, and
0: so transitioning from the the pie forest to the beach is not really something that's you can't run for, you can't run four minute k's and that stuff anyway. So <laughs> no, it's, it's just a wall of dense. so yeah that's not going to happen and the dunes i don't think they're very wide so the open dunes are not very wide so i think they'll stay in the, the wide areas yes. and with 15 kilometers i expect it's just going to be straight white flat running balls
1: to the wall the whole time we can report back, you can report back next month and we can hone in on some sort of technique that you found useful. Um, yep. Should we wrap things up? Because we've got... Um, yeah. We're heading to Europe soon. It's yeah, a sprint I'm walk, to And it hasn't been, you haven't been to a uh, dedicated sprint walk before. What is something you're doing differently in your preparation to prepare for a sprint week rather than having the forest to think about?
0: Yeah, so I am doing sprint orienteering training, exclusively. Um, Queen's birthday is going so, to be yeah. a, bit of a, a break to that, but uh, yeah, it's certainly different. Normally, a uh, prefer... shattering,
1: innovative <laughs> approach.
0: Yeah. Um, How about it's... any
1: specific specific um, training sessions that you've put in uh, for sprint sprint training over winter? Is there anything in particular
0: you've you've incorporated this time around? Running wise, yeah, I'm doing yep. a lot of shorter intervals: 200 meter sprints, 400 meter sprints. And they're sessions that I ha- have done in the past, um, but I'm doing, I've done a lot of hill sprints in the past to, to build, um, to build power. But what I'm trying to do now, because the races in Denmark are flat is I'm doing them all flat, which is actually a little bit different to what I've done in the past. Anyone mm-hmm. who's ever done athletics, this is like a staple diet for them. Um, but I haven't done these uh, faster interval sessions, these short, short, sharp, intervals, with lots of shorter intervals. So doing, doing more of that stuff and it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Gnarly sessions. Um, but my body's handling it quite well. Uh, you know, you have a good feeling when you do a hard session and as soon as you start warming down your heart rates back, back to a low level and you start bouncing along quite nicely. So, uh, nice. I think I'm yeah, taking it, uh, the body's taking it pretty well and adapting That's good. I think um,
1: it will be interesting to hear how you go at Queen's Bertha. You'll have to report back next month. But let's uh, wrap it up there for now, eh? Cool. See
0: you, yeah. Nice one. Catch you later. If you liked the show, please support it by sharing this podcast with one person who would benefit from it. The best place to find more content like this is at genebeverage.nz, where you can find years of training blogs, race reports, podcasts, and coaching videos, you don't want to miss future episodes, I recommend subscribing to my newsletter by visiting genebeverage.nz or by following on social media, Perfect Flow on Facebook and Gene Beverage on Instagram. For Q&A, send messages to nav at perfectflow.nz.